Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. I'm looking to see who the last person is to sit down. They get a prize. Just kidding. There's no prizes. We do have a lost and found, and I think there's some really ancient things in there, so it could be you. could be you. It's Kelly Manning. She's the last one to sit down. She wins. Okay. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. My name's Emily Snyder, and I'm on the preaching team here at the Vineyard. Uh, did we all survive the heat? Uh, as was just mentioned, I help run the young adult ministry here, and here's how much I love them. I set up at the CU Welcome Week Fair, and it was so hot. And our house is close enough that I could have walked, and I was like, Dusty, convince me not to do this, and he just sent me a screenshot of what the heat index was going to be at that time, and I was like, okay, yep. Not doing it. Okay, so uh, anyway, Vineyard Young Adults, while I have the mic, I'm just going to plug it one more time. Mondays at 8 at my house. Uh, it's really great. And we have a new dog, so you got to come meet him because our old one died. Okay. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> huh? Yeah. Well, oh, I live on Lebanon Avenue. So if you want to come, come find me. I'll give you the actual address. Okay, yeah. Okay, enough of that. Uh, We are in week three of a four-week series. Do we remember the title of the series? It's one word. Born, born. Uh, And we're looking at the story of Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter three. There it is, born. Born. We affectionately call Nicodemus Nick at night because he comes to Jesus in the dark, in the middle of the night, and he has a lot of questions for him. And what we're talking about is what it means to be born from above. Or more commonly, we we say born again, right? Uh, And I think this series is really timely, and here's why. Um, You know, when you use a word or a phrase often enough, it begins to kind of lose its significance. Uh, and, And also, if you think about our current world, the phrase, born again, is kind of taking on a different and not altogether positive meaning in some spheres. So I think it's really important for us to remind ourselves like what we're about, right? What this actually means, not just what it meant for Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter three, but what it actually means for us 21st century believers in central Kentucky living just like regular, normal, average lives, right? Most of us just live an average life, yeah. So let's read our text. Let's pull it up. John chapter 3. Jesus and Nicodemus have been talking, and we get to this, I think, a really pivotal verse, verse 9. How 
are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher and you don't understand these things? Uh, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Uh, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, we'll get to that in a minute, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Hmm. So uh, I want to talk about three different things this morning. Kate, can you pull up my little outline? I didn't uh, proofread it. Okay, everything's spelled correctly. Good. Uh, So culture and language. We're going to talk about culture and language. We're going to talk about a reliable narrator. And we're also going to talk about a low entryway, okay? And the first thing uh, is this culture and language. Last week, Adam said something that kind of made my ears perk up uh, in his message. He said, you know, when you're born, you're born into a culture, right? Uh, We see this play out like on a macro level, like we're born into a certain, let's say, a country of origin. It's a culture that you're born into. We also see this on more of a micro level, right? When you're born, you're born into a family, and that family unit has a culture of its own, for better or worse, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but I want to extend that just a little bit further this morning. I actually love to, to read about culture, um, not just like, you know, art or whatever, but like what is culture? Who makes culture? Who determines like what culture is? And here's what I know about culture is that wherever there is culture, language is not far behind, right? Uh, And we can say, again, we can see this play out on a macro level. Like when you're born into a certain, let's say, country, typically the language you're going to speak is what? The language of the country you're born into. Uh, but also think about smaller, like, subcultures that you might be a part of. Like, when you first started your job, did you know all the lingo? No, of course not. Uh, my brother's in the military, and when he talks to me about his job, he uses a lot of, like, abbreviations, and I'm like, what? Back up. What are you talking about? Because I'm not in that culture. I don't know the language. Uh, My husband works for a large company, so he does a lot of, like, circle back. He's going to put pins in things, right? Uh, If somebody really messes something up, you don't tell them in, you know, corporate business language, culture language. You don't say, hey, you messed up. You say, you know, you have an opportunity here. For improvement, I never want an opportunity. I never want somebody to say, Emily, you have it. Just tell me I messed up, okay? Don't tell me I have an opportunity. I I can't handle it because I know what it means. Uh, That's culture and language. Uh, I moved here in college from Kansas City. And I didn't, so I didn't grow up in the South, but I thought I was fairly familiar with it because my grandparents lived here and we would come and visit uh, for a couple weeks in the summer. 
And then somebody, I just remember this, we were like kind of church hopping and somebody at one of the churches asked me who I was kin to. And I said, what? (laughs) Kin to? You mean related to? You know, that's my language. Uh, And then I had a college friend, we went to Walmart once and she told me to go get a buggy. And I said, where am I? (laughs) A buggy? You mean a cart, madam. It's a shopping cart. But it's culture and language, right? It's culture and language. Uh, Here's one more. Sometimes you can be immersed in a culture, but still need somebody to, like, translate the language for you. Uh, Now, when Adam's up here, he talks a lot about mountain biking. I'm up here. I'm going to talk a lot about baseball, okay? So Dusty and I, my husband and I, we really love baseball. I love to watch baseball and read about baseball. Me and Dusty and Matt and all have a little group thread where we send funny baseball videos to each other. I mean, we just love it. But still, when it comes to, like, RBIs and OPS and all the things, am I saying it right? Okay, I get the head nod. I not only under, I don't remember like exactly what they stand for, but they all have numbers attached to them, and I don't know what they mean. I don't know if those numbers are good or bad. So I have to what? I got to find a translator. I got to ask Dusty what this means. That's also culture and language. Uh, people dedicate their whole lives, actually, some people, to studying culture and language and how they affect each other. Uh, There's this thing known as the linguistic relativity hypothesis. That's real smart people language for this. The language that you speak actually informs your view of reality. What? Are you kidding me? It's fascinating. So I'm going to connect some dots here. If we're thinking about being born into a culture and what almost immediately follows is language development, and if we apply that to being born from above and receiving a new culture called the kingdom of heaven, then we should reasonably infer that we're going to be inheriting some new language, right? Some new language. So when Jesus and Nicodemus are having this conversation, and Nicodemus asks in verse 9, How can these things be? I think that question is absolutely bursting with significance because it's showing uh, that while they may have been born into the same like Abrahamic family and therefore their language is the same and their views of reality should have been tracking uh, what Jesus was talking about, what Nicodemus was talking about are on like a collision course right? So let's talk about uh, an unreliable narrator. Dig back into your high school English days. Or if your program wasn't very robust, maybe your college English days. Uh, An unreliable narrator uh, either is intentionally deceptive, like when you're reading a work of fiction. I'll just talk about books. I'm sure it can apply to like movies too. Books are my thing. Uh... They're either intentionally deceptive or they're like unintentionally misrepresenting the story. But as the reader, we know what they're talking. And so it's just, it's confusing, right? Uh, It can be really trippy. And the reason we have a hard time with unreliable narrators is this. Uh, We're filtering what they're telling us 
through our own construction of how we perceive their story. And when things don't fit together the way we think they should, they begin to not make a lot of sense. So much like Nicodemus, we could be asking, how can these things be? We become disinclined to believe what they're telling us is true. And while that can be a really fun way to like spend an afternoon reading a, a kind of a wild book with an unreliable narrator, how many of you want that for your real life? I don't want people in my life. Because it goes from like a work of fiction to that person's a liar. Right? Because <laughs> real quick. <laughs> and in this story, Nicodemus, he's not coming out and telling Jesus, you know, hey, Jesus, you're lying. I actually think Nicodemus wanted to believe. Uh, but Jesus makes it very clear that Nicodemus and those like him are primed to refute anything he says. Anything he says. Uh, see, that's the other thing about culture and language. We learn to speak it based on the culture that we're born into, but we also learn to receive it based on the culture that we are born into. So in this passage, the good news for us is that Jesus is declaring himself the reliable narrator, uh, the one who can be trusted. And kind of like when I have to ask a, a Dusty to explain baseball stats to me, Jesus is the one who defines the language we inherit once we're born from above. He is the word made flesh. Jesus is the definition of what God is doing in the world. Then, but also now. And if we try to interpret it on our own, uh, from our own construction of reality, right? There's that linguistic relativity again. Uh, what we end up with is a warped view of who Jesus is and what he set out to do. And uh, not just in our lives, but for like the entire biblical story, we begin to have a warped view of what Jesus is doing. So Jesus is the reliable narrator, the word made flesh, the definition of what God is doing. Uh, this summer, I started a new endeavor. You ready for this? I went back to school. So I enrolled in seminary. And what this means is I spent my entire summer, I took one class, okay? I spent my, this is not a joke, every moment of free time <laughs> that I had was spent reading or writing papers, and my professor was like a very nice guy. There was nothing wrong with him. But every time I would log in to read his feedback on my papers, I would get like rapid heartbeat and I'd get a little shaky and a little clammy. And I don't, I don't know why. Um, but on my last paper, I was like, there's no way he's going to disagree with anything I say. So I write in this paper, one of the things I write is, and listen, I'm saying this, but this isn't funny. Okay, I'm not saying this to be like, look at how funny this thing is. This is not funny. This is true. The good news is that the good news is for everyone. Huh. 
I don't think anybody can argue with that. But then I logged in, and right at that sentence, there was a little blue sticky note, and I was like, here we go. (laughs) What did I say? But here's what he wrote. Here's what he wrote. He wrote, yes, but... I roll. (laughs) He's never going to hear this, but yes, but it also calls for a response from us. And I was like, yeah, okay, fine. (laughs) Like, shouldn't that be implied? We're in Bible college for goodness sake. Um, But here's the thing. Yes, but I've been thinking about that a lot Uh, this week while reading the story of Nicodemus. Uh, This reference to Moses kind of is a little obscure. We're going to read actually in Numbers what he is referring to. This is Numbers, I don't remember, like 18, okay, 21, 21. (laughs) Again, I'm in seminary. Uh, So (laughs) the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. Uh, Then the people came to Moses and cried out, we've sinned by speaking against the Lord. See, earlier in this passage, they were like, God, you brought us to the wilderness for what? Okay. We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply Look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake. And guess what? They were healed. Okay. Kind of a wacky story. I'm not going to unpack all of it. Uh, But here's what we see. The consequence of their sin was death. God sent a poisonous snake to bite them, made them sick. And eventually they died. Uh, I've, has anybody in here ever been bitten by a snake? I just need to know. Raise your hand. <gasps> One. Okay. Most of us have not. Okay. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Raise your hand if you haven't been bitten by a snake. There we go. Okay. Me neither. It would have been cool if I was like, well, I have. Um, I've never been bitten by a snake. But I have been very, very sick. How many of you have been very, very sick? Uh, And I'm talking acutely ill, right? Earlier this year, I got strep throat twice within six weeks. And at one point, I called Dusty into our room, and I said, I hope your next wife is nice to the children. (laughs) Because I am not going to make it. I was so sick. I couldn't get out of bed. I could barely take my medicine. I could, I didn't even want to watch Netflix. I was so sick. Uh, I'm sure you all can have experienced this as well. It's true. We've just, sometimes you just get sick. Um, But here's the thing. This story is very hilarious. Now I'm going to rein it in. Uh, Here's where I think the really, really good news is for us this morning. Um, In this misery, we find good news because how did God intervene on behalf of the Israelites in this passage? He made it so that all they had to do was move their eyes. 
And sometimes, when you're that sick, when you have no energy at all, it was as simple as looking at something to be healed. And I just want you guys to know that it's the same for us today. Um, when we are at our weakest, at our lowest, uh, our sickest, when we're at our most depleted, the entryway for us to respond to God is very, very low, which is to say very, very easy. All we have to do is look. And we see that Jesus was not only raised up on the cross, but was raised up in resurrection. That is the good news for us this morning. And I just want to say this too. We don't have to complicate this at all. Uh, I was talking to a friend a few months ago, and she and I come from very, very different uh, faith backgrounds. And we were talking about what it takes to become a Christian. And I said, well, like, do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? And she was like, yes, of course. I believe he was born from a virgin. He lived, she was saying, he lived a sinless life. Uh, He died and he was raised, you know, I believe all of that. And I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I think you're a Christian. And her words were, that's it. So she said, that's it. And then she said, it, it cannot be that simple. But it is. It actually is. Uh, one of the main tenets of the vineyard is that we keep the main thing, the main thing, and the plain thing, the plain thing. Culture and language, those are complicated. And the longer you're immersed in them, like the more you'll eventually learn. But the initial birth into that culture, or being born from above, it's main and it's plain. It's as simple as looking to Jesus. That is our initial response. Yeah. And I want to say this too. Um, none of what I'm saying today is a metaphor. It's actually real. Uh, I've been reflecting on this a lot this week. If I were tempted to torpedo my walk with the Lord, it's not going to be one of the big no-nos, right? I'm not going to, like, kill anybody, just so you know. I'm not going to become an arsonist or any of the big no-nos, okay? Here's what I know about myself for me. I will just be tempted to say, none of this is true. This cannot possibly be true. Uh, And I will be tempted to begin to live with doubt and skepticism as my foremost inclination to God. This is what I know about myself. But here is the thing. I actually cannot deny what I have seen. Uh, I can't deny the way that I've seen God be real in my life, 
But I think even more importantly, I can't deny the way I've seen God be real in the lives of people in this room. You know you're all living a story, and it is very, very integral to the church that we know what your story is. Because when people like me begin to say, this ain't it, I'm done. I look at the people around me, and I've just been like meditating this week on the stories of some of the people I know here, and I felt the Holy Spirit just fresh and new on me this week. I have cried more this week than I might have cried all year, thinking about these things. And also thinking about how Jesus made it so simple for us to just use our eyes to look to him. So I just want to end with three questions today. Three questions. One, what language are you speaking? And if that is kind of an obscure question, let me help you get to it a different way. What culture are you mainly immersed in? What language are you speaking? Uh, Two, What language are you receiving? Those two kind of go hand in hand, but I also just want to say for some of us, you might just need to find like a mentor or a translator of some sort who can come beside you and say what is true of God. And finally, my last question, and the one I wrote the most about, uh, is where are you looking? What are your eyes seeing. Uh, I think a lot of Christians nowadays do a lot of navel gazing. Okay, have you heard this phrase? Uh, Navel gazing, where we are looking to ourselves to define who God is to us. It's dangerous. Uh, Instead of looking to God to define who he is to us. Uh, And maybe that's where your skepticism starts. Uh, And I just want to say, like, be a Nicodemus. Genuinely ask God, how can these things be? And begin to notice again what you see. Here's This is either good news for you or bad news for you. The Lord will answer you, but and it's going to be through other people. Yeah, It's going to be through people around you. Uh, and I just really felt this week so strongly while I was preparing um, that there's probably people in this room and you might be thinking, I wish all I had was like doubt toward God, but I actually just straight up don't like him. And if that's you, uh, I'm not interested in convincing anybody of anything. I'm not debating apologetics. It gets us nowhere. I'm not doing it. But here's where I want to say, I actually think there's an invitation for you this morning specifically. Um, to even in your most secret place, begin to ask God your questions. Just begin to ask him your questions. And here's what I want you to notice, is that Jesus didn't turn Nicodemus away. He actually engaged him. Uh, And if you read the rest of Nicodemus' story, this also made me cry this week, Um, you find that when Jesus was dead, I mean, done, dead, not alive anymore, 
Here's who was with him. The women who followed him, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Nicodemus took his body off of the cross, brought 75, I'm going to say pounds. It might be more. I don't know. I don't know the metrics uh, of like oils and things to prepare his body and put him in the tomb. So the very man who came to Jesus and Jesus said, you have to be born again, stuck with Jesus long enough to see Jesus die and put him in a tomb and a, where life was born again. Ask Jesus your questions. Stick with him. Yeah. Uh, band, you can come back up. I'd written in my notes to have you do that sooner, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> Yeah. I've been really blessed by this story this week, and I hope you all have too. Um, yeah, we're going to have a ministry team up here at the very end, so if you need prayer for anything, if you'd like to respond to anything you've heard, if you're sick and you would like us to pray for you or anything, uh, please get prayer today. Don't leave without it. Let's go ahead and stand. Um, and we'll sing another song. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.